Welcome back to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about the importance of having multiple viewpoints and partnerships when performing your DHA, your dust hazard analysis. We're doing that with Chrissy Clocker and Tim Hennix. Chrissy is an applications engineering manager at Donaldson, based out of South Paul, Minnesota. We've had her present several times at the Global Dust Safety Conference inside the Dust Safety Academy. We've had her on the podcast before, back in episode 134, talking about five misconceptions about collecting combustible dust. Tim is Director of Engineering Services at Duscon Solutions, based out of West Palm Beach, Florida. And he's been featured on the podcast a number of times, back in episode 142 most recently, talking about what details should be included in a dust hazard analysis. I remember that one, we, we left it open at the end to have a further discussion. Uh, I think this piece probably fits into part of what we talked about in that episode. We've had him on before, back in 117, 118, talking about management change, previous episodes to that. So this specific topic, it's an interesting discussion about having multiple viewpoints and having a partnership when doing your dust hazard analysis. And when this topic came up, the interesting discussion was we've never actually had this collaborative discussion about it on the podcast. Most of the time we have one guest or it's myself talking to the audience, talking to each other, but it's hard to really talk about partnerships and, and collaboration without having more than one person. So I thought it'd be interesting to have multiple people on for this session. I want to thank Chrissy and thank Tim for coming on. It was a bit of an experiment for us to, to get this multiple interview series completed here. So in this episode, we're going to talk about when multiple viewpoints are good to have. What do these type of you know, partnerships and cooperations look like? What are some of the typical challenges that come up in assessing hazards, developing an implementation plan, how these partnerships help with these sort of changes? And what other types of things we'll be looking at in consideration to this topic of having multiple viewpoints for your DHA? So we're going to kind of jump back between Tim and Chrissy in this episode. I think we'll start with Tim. From your perspective, when are multiple viewpoints needed for assessing hazards? And looking at your safety strategy at your facility, handling or generating combustible dust, when would we be looking at this? First off, Chris, thank you for having me back on the podcast. Always good to chat with you. Always having multiple viewpoints is best. But in particular, we see it most in, in more of design phase or, or desktop DHA work where you know the, the design is still fluid to some extent and, and there needs to be input both from the end user who knows what they need and want out of the system, the engineering firm or the, the vendors or, or the equipment manufacturers who are developing and designing the equipment and the systems and how everything's gonna piece together, lead or the DHA consultant who's, who's being brought in to ensure that everything's staying inside the boundaries or inside the, the compliance lines from a, an NFPA or an insurance perspective. We also see it quite often in retroactive DHA situations where we're going into a facility where there's like a particularly specialized system or piece of equipment, but it really is most important in my eyes when, when we're going into a new system where, hey, we, we've got all of these design options on the table and understanding both from the, the compliance and safety side, what's going to be best for us in that perspective, but also working iteratively with the designers and the engineers who are, who are pulling together the design into the larger picture, right? Because at least from my perspective doing DHAs, I'm usually focused on a pretty narrow slice of the larger project. And so those other resources, having, you know, having a partnership amongst however many parties are involved becomes extremely important in that, res in that respect. 
Yeah, I mean, it goes with one of the, I don't know if I'm going to call it a founding principle, but one of the things you see in 652 and, and moving into to 660 is this note on, you know, qualified person to perform DHA where it says it really should be a team. So that's sort of a piece of this. And I think then what we're talking about here today is, you know, expanding on that. Okay, how does the team bring in stuff that needs to happen outside of the dust hazard analysis and even bring in more, more of that experience? So I kind of pulled out two pieces to what Tim's saying here. So in design phase, when you have a really large amount of options, it's quite nice to have this, you know, this partnership view, this, this multiple viewpoints. And also for retrofits, they can be interesting to include as well, especially if you're looking at these more specialized systems. Chrissy, I guess you can touch on when these might be needed as well, but also, you know, why are these partnerships and multiple viewpoints important in these types of scenarios? Yeah. And thanks, Chris. Um, you know, like Tim, I'm super excited to be here today. So my answer is actually going to cover both of those. And when it comes to dust collectors, they're just a component to an entire industrial ventilation, a, a local exhaust ventilation system. And when you're going through and designing one of those systems, you're trying to achieve some sort of performance objective, whether it's we're going to capture this dust, we're going to remove this hazard, you know, and we're going to do something with it. We're going to filter the air and we're going to either bring it back into the building or we're going to exhaust it back outside. And whether it's a design phase or for a system that's already installed, you know, it's really important to understand how the mitigation choices that you choose or that, that an end user chooses will impact that overall system design. And so when it comes to dust collection, a lot of times we're focused on airflow and static pressure or resistance. And that's what's used to size your fan, which really does the whole work of kind of pulling that air through this entire system. And if you start making changes to your dust collection system to fit a certain mitigation strategy, for example, if you want to return the air back into the building, you might have to add safety filters to the system. You might have to add additional explosion isolation measures. You might have to add additional duct work in order to support the use of an abort gate. And all of those little system changes will add resistance to your system. And that might require you to then have to upgrade to a higher horsepower fan. You'll have to modify your controls. And so, you know, by having someone who looks at it from the risk standpoint, but then also understanding what the implications of those different strategies does to your overall dust collection system and the performance of that system is really just a critical role because you don't want to buy all of this equipment if it's not going to be suitable for what you actually need in the field. Yeah, I love that. And I'm starting to draw kind of a bit of a diagram here where you have the, the risk side pointing to equipment, equipment back to the risk and the equipment you're looking for a given performance. And I guess it's really about making sure we don't change the performance by what the hazard assessment's doing and what the mitigation strategies that we may put in place there. And on the flip side, we put some mitigation strategy or some performance changing criteria in. We also want to make sure we don't introduce a hazard. And there's there's sort of two cases where it comes to mind from dust safety professionals when we have requests come in where I think this collaboration is really needed. So we see it when somebody just has a lot of challenges and doesn't know what to do first. It's like, should we have a dust collection company come in or a cleaning company or somebody do a DHA or do we need to get our dust tested? Do we need to buy exposure protection equipment? And the answer might be, well, you need to do all those things, but you know, let's figure out a stepwise manner to do that. That's a big challenge and requires multiple viewpoints. And requires companies to have some level of working together and pointing to each other when it's 
know, the, the right thing, like, oh, well, we shouldn't do this first. We should look at this aspect. Getting these kind of knowledgeable groups together can do that as one big side of it. And the other side, we've seen incidents where mitigation strategies have been put in place only to move the hazard. And I think of an example of, you know, maybe aluminum dust and you use wet dust collection, but you still need that product. So then you got to sift it and put it through screens. Well, we've actually seen cases around the world where you had an issue in a bin, then you you went to wet dust collection, then you had an explosion in your sifter afterwards. You're trying to get that out and they run it through a nerding and then they have some issue with their nerding system that completely full and they have ignition source elsewhere. It's kind of like whack-a-mole where the hazard just keeps, I shouldn't really laugh because, you know, it's, it's quite dangerous, but if you don't have that person that has the experience on the protection side or the risk side, and you're just making these changes and adding equipment for the sake of adding equipment, and that's not necessarily the case in, in this one I'm thinking of, but that's where you get into those challenges. Like, oh, well, now we're hurting the performance and hurting the level of risk. So those two examples come through through my mind with dust age professionals. So it, it makes sense, right? If you, you put a slide up and talk about this, say, yeah, we should work together and have a team approach here. That, that makes a lot of sense. But I think the question mark in the, the listener's uh, mind might be, well, what does this actually look like? I'm a spark detection guy, and I couldn't imagine how I'd even talk to somebody that does DHAs and, and figure out how they can be involved. Or I'm a dust collection person, and, and I don't know how it works. So I think it'd be kind of helpful just to share from both your perspective how this has worked for you in the past. So I think we had Chrissy go last, so maybe we'll start with Tim. You know, Can you kind of give an example of when have you found it advantageous to have this sort of partnership process? And then what does it look like? Do you just call up the person on the phone and say, hey, we both need to look at this? Does it go into some sort of contract and quoting process? Like what, how formal, informal, just if somebody's listeners go, I need to do that with my project today, what should they do to figure that out and, and kind of what's it look like? I think the simplest example, Chris, of something like, I mean, you, we're talking about this partnership and, and, a listener might be thinking, you know, some very broad, and maybe our listeners are, are, are sitting here thinking, oh, well, they're they're going to have to get on a plane, be in, you know, be in the same place for a while, really dig this out and, and work on it. And like the most simplified example I can think of, and Chrissy will, will probably laugh when she hears me say this because she's gotten the phone call a couple of times. Is you know, if we're working with a client, they've got a a dust collector on site that Chrissy's team has has designed and sold at some point. And I recognize whose it is, and I. I say, hey, do you guys have any documentation on this thing, right? They probably don't always have the explosion event calculations that were provided at the time of installation, right? Well, for me as a consultant, it is so advantageous to be able to pick up the phone and just say, hey, Chrissy, we've got this PO number and we've got this client and, you know, what do you need from us in order to get us this information that we need? And it really does cut through some of the communication barriers that might exist if the client were to go to whoever it is that, that sold them that, and then they go to the dealer, and then the dealer goes to the rep, and then the rep goes to the engineering team. To be able to just go directly to the source and, and having that, you know, obviously we have a conversation with the, the client first and say, hey, we, we want to obtain some information on your behalf. Having that, that, I mean, that's a way to just so efficiently communicate information that's needed for the analysis. but. I think that in a little bit more, and Chrissy, chime in when you're ready. I, I think in a little bit more in-depth conversation that that I've had in the past has been in situations where we've got like non-routine equipment, right? 
Many of us dust consultants are really familiar with dust collection systems and, and these, these filter vessels that need to be protected in a very, you know, a pretty standardized way these days. But, you know, if we get something like a, an open face booth that it's not really a vessel, it's not totally enclosed, having explosion protections on it not, is not necessarily the right way to approach that. But how, how is it that the Donaldson sees that they're protecting and how is it that, that we can kind of communicate very efficiently about you know, what is it in this, in this design already that helps to prevent or mitigate risks and how can I use what they've already gone through in their design to, to help convey that through the DHA itself. Chris, you might be able to expand on that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I don't think having your a dust collection manufacturer, someone who is knowledgeable about the system is always top of mind when doing the risk assessment because NFPA really focuses on having someone who's qualified in the NFPA standards and the risk assessment. And it can sometimes get lost as to someone who's knowledgeable about the equipment and the process. And so a lot of times where we kind of get brought in and kind of really show the value of having that kind of holistic view is actually after customers have already gone through the risk assessment with a third party. And so we sometimes will get brought in on, okay, hey, here are their recommendations. How do we fit these mitigation strategies or how do we implement what they're recommending for us to do? And that's when we look at it and we go, well, actually, based on your technology or based on the recommendations, this is kind of contrary or may not work with the equipment that you have. And so it's at that point when we, you know, rather than the customer applying a mitigation strategy that's not necessarily appropriate, we'll get on the phone with the customer and probably the risk assessment company and really just kind of talk through it. And, and like Tim said, at that point, you can have everyone understand this is the technology Here's the, the safeguards that are already in place. Here were kind of the recommendations. But again, based on the, the technology, what you've recommended may not be possible. And so let's look for alternative strategies that may work. And, and so that's where partnership kind of really shows its importance is because you get you end up with a solution that, you know, the customer's uh, willing to accept. It's good with the uh, risk assessment company. And it makes sense for the performance of the dust collection system and design and everything with that. To build on that a little bit further, Chris, some of the things that as a, as a DHA consultant, we sometimes get thought of as experts on everything all the time. Because we're doing the DHA, we must know everything there is to know about industrial ventilation and everything there is to know about fire protection engineering and, you know, all the way down the list, right? But in many cases, you know, we have a broad swath of knowledge, but in some areas it might be shallower than others. And so relying on those partners that, that have the in-depth knowledge on, on certain topics can be extraordinarily helpful in, in making sure that we don't overlook something that, that maybe we would have if we didn't have them present with us. And one of the things that, that I, I actually find very helpful about somebody like Chrissy is if they've got some type of performance based design feature already built into their equipment. You know, let, let's say for, for argument's sake that there's some kind of clean air isolation device already built to the filter. If there's not an indication on the piece of equipment as it is, we might not know about that 
necessarily as, as the DHA consultant until we ask the question. Even if we ask the question of our client, they might not know about it. So I think that those are some of the points at which we really find value in, in having these kinds of opportunities to, to get the answer right from those who, who did the design and, and thought it out in the first place. Yeah. And just to echo that, you know, I like to say that I don't have the answer to everything. And, you know, I like to think that I do, but I really, I don't know everything. And so I talk to customers who say, well, you're the dust collection manufacturer and you should be doing DHAs. And why aren't you doing DHAs and, you know, helping solve all these problems? And it's, well, I'm knowledgeable in dust collection. Dust collection is my expertise. I'm knowledgeable in NFPA standards because they impact the industry that I work in. But I don't know much about management of change and risk approaches and all of the that kind of has ops and all of the different strategies that you can use to kind of assess the risk. And, and I, I can speak to it, I guess, if needed, but that's not my area of expertise. And so I can help assess the situation from my viewpoint, but you need someone who understands it from the NFPA standards and the risk standpoint, and you need someone who understands the process. And then you also need someone who understands the customer and their risk profile, because you don't want people making decisions on behalf of you if you're the end user and you're saying, well, wait a minute, if that happens, that really is catastrophic versus someone saying, well, if it happens, it's really not that bad. So it's when you start looking at all of your different stakeholders, it's really important to kind of have a, someone who can represent each lens of that to kind of give it that well-rounded assessment. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add to that because you, you mentioned having somebody who knows the process, somebody who knows hazard analysis and risk assessment techniques and tools. Somebody who knows the equipment. Just having an extra number of heads is nice to avoid the, I've never seen that happen before. So it's not an issue type mentality. At least having two heads together or three heads, you know, doubles or triples your chance of somebody having seen in that industry, that store scenario work out in a way that was not good or not advantageous or catastrophic or whatever it's going to be. More viewpoints we get in there, the better chance we slip in that trap of normalizing what just hasn't been experienced by one person. Tim said it really well when he talked about having a broad knowledge and then kind of using these these partnerships and these viewpoints to dig into very more specific areas. And two kind of questions came up that I want to kind of chat through that I wrote down here. So we have a number of other things to go through. I think I'll do one for Tim and then one for Chrissy. For Tim, I mean, it's all good that you know Chrissy from Donaldson and I know you. And and I will I will say that both Chrissy and Tim are extremely open. So if you have questions about either of their areas of expertise, certainly reach out to them. But say if you come up with a piece of equipment that you don't know the company very well or industry or a geography, you just don't know the people. Like, how do you actually find the Chrissies of the world or vice versa if you're trying to find the, the people that are open and willing to discuss? Like, that's a challenge we kind of address with dust safety professionals because we get in and figure out who the knowledge holders are and the people to answer the specific questions. So that's a lot of the, what we do at the end of the day is, is try to guide people to the right person in the company. But Tim, from your perspective, like how do you, how do you go with finding the people that can actually be the viewpoints of the partnerships, sort of cutting through that you know, multi-month wade through the representatives and then distributors and then getting down to the company and that. Have any tips for people that figure that out if they're trying to figure it out today? It's actually a really good question, Chris. And obviously, I could I could never try to find partners better than you and Chris. I mean, you guys are just invaluable to me. But generally speaking, 
I have developed a little bit of a network of colleagues, I guess you'd call them, or resources, experts in certain fields that varies across you know, the spectrum of, of knowledge base, just kind of by normal interactions, you know, working with people on projects or being a part of an NFPA technical committee with them or you know, having conversations at, at, at conferences or, or whatever it might be. But I will say that in, in a situation where I come across a, a company or a piece of equipment that I need information about, there's nothing like just picking up a phone and calling. Sometimes you don't necessarily know where to start. If I'm looking at a, a dryer design by a company I've never really worked with before and I need to know information about it, if I don't have a direct contact, you go to the website, you, you dial the main number and you just introduce yourself to whoever answers the phone and say, hey, I need to speak with somebody in engineering who deals with this particular technology or application. And, and sometimes you'll get somebody on the other end of the phone that's really helpful and you can develop and nurture a a relationship that will serve you well in the future. The other times you don't get that. <laughs> you find that it's a dead end and, and unfortunately you're not able to, to get that knowledge that you were, you were hoping to find. The other side of that is, is to actually use and, and engage with those, those resources. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this right now who in hearing this probably can think of a time that they've had me reach out to them and just say, hey, you know, I'd like to pick your brain on this or that topic some more than others. Thank you to those who are listening that, that know that you're that person. As we continue to do more and more work in the industry, you find that it really is a relatively small, tight-knit group within combustible dust hazards community. And I found it really helpful that there's so many people out there willing to share their knowledge. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think you hit the nail on the head with developing that network. One, that's sort of a good thing just to do if you're in the industry. And that's probably a whole another topic, Tim, how to, how to build your network within, you know, dust safety industry around the world. I think that's a pretty good one. But if, if someone takes away one thing from this, if they're working on a product right now and they don't know something about a piece of equipment or don't know just one answer, like, I, I just love that. Just pick up the phone and call the company, see if you can get through and talk to somebody that knows what they're talking about. We, we're trying to build the same thing out with dust safety professionals where we have that network. And I give an example of just this morning working on a ticket. Uh, we have a request come in for a hazard assessment in South Africa. We don't have a member company in South Africa, but we have member, mem many member companies that either have somebody there or nearby or that work with companies have somebody nearby. So for us, that our service manager, which uh, shifts between me and, and one of my teammates at the moment, like the main goal is to contact the company, say who's the knowledgeable person in certain city in South Africa and, and try to get that list. And then when you know the, the company themselves get that contact, it just cuts through months of trying to figure out who the right person is. and and fortunately, probably, you know, some really bad advice along the way from Bob the cleaner or Sally the what whatever. <laughs> I'm getting somebody that actually knows what they're talking about the other day. So we're trying to build this network out sort of a global scale, but you can have it really as a, a really local, a good local tool as well. Christy, anything to add about kind of building the network or how do you find the right people to to reach out to and maybe from the opposite side, like from your perspective as an equipment provider, how do you find the, the right risk assessment people, dust hazard analysis consultants? So you sort of have a short roster of Tim and some others that, that maybe we'll call useful. <laughs> uh, that's sort of a shot, Tim. He's very useful. Um, but, or is it a matter of knowing, like, how do you go about figuring it out? Yeah, you know, we have kind of our list of recommended people, I think, 
we want to make sure that we're also connecting customers with reputable companies. We're not going to recommend Joe Blow in his garage because we don't understand if he's qualified or not. So we we do that, but we also allow end users to make their own decision, right? They can kind of, they can choose whoever they want. They can do whatever they want, but you know, in my eyes, you, you get what you pay for. And I think nothing stands out more than just a personal recommendation of who to go to. So whether it's DHAs or whether it's mitigation equipment, we want to make sure that we're using good partners who we understand their knowledge expertise, like where they can play a good role, as well as like from the mitigation side, you know, we want to make sure that we're providing equipment that is going to, you know, stand up and it's appropriately designed and it's appropriately used for, for our customers. And so I, like Tim, have kind of built my own little network as well of just people and from, you know, the industrial ventilation conference and different, you know, speaking opportunities and that of, of really finding things. And it, it is kind of funny. It is, a, it's a small world when you keep hearing the same names from the same companies, but that's great. Cause I think everyone understands those are kind of your knowledge experts for us. You know, we have a really great sales network. So a lot of times if, you know, Tim calls me and says, Hey, I've got this piece of equipment. What can you tell me about it? You know, even if I can't tell anything, I'll usually get him in contact with someone who can either walk with him at the customer site or kind of talk to the customer or might have a better relationship with that end user and have more information on that equipment than we do. So even if I'm not the one who's got the answers, we are using our own in- internal network to really make sure that we're finding the information that customers need. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we talked a lot um, on dust collection, which makes sense. We talked a lot on hazard, you know, risk, risk assessment, which would be part of your dust hazard analysis. Tim, is there other kind of areas where this partnership comes up, like combustible dust testing, anything that comes before the DHA, anything that comes after the DHA with your implementation plan and, and kind of working forward through that? Like what else do you see as major areas for, and maybe even some ones that don't specifically include working with dust collection companies, but what other type of equipment, like what other kind of challenges do you see it come up where we, we need to have more partnerships and more of these multiple viewpoints? Another good question, Chris. I... I'm going to pick up on kind of the last portion that you talked about, which is speaking outside of dust collection specifically, what are some of the challenges our clients face and where they need that partner to be involved? And, and the one that comes to mind most readily right now is after the DHA, you're almost inevitably going to have a list of recommendations that you got to knock out. Some of those are going to be resource intensive program building, procedure writing, not capital money. But many times there are going to be engineering controls that need to be implemented. And for somebody like me to have contacts that understand or knowledgeable and can, most importantly, can provide those solutions for explosion venting or suppression system or or spark detection and, and extinguishment or you know, those types of applications are so specialized in many respects that clients are often looking for us to tell them exactly what they need. You know, like the, the idea of, well, you told us we need suppression on this vessel. Well, how many bottles and where do they go? And in all honesty, that's not something that you can tell generally. You know, it, it depends on which vendor you're going to use, depends on the detection technology, it depends on so many different factors that it really is the case that we would prefer to have partners who we can say, for this group of recommendations, bring this to X, Y, and Z companies. They're all qualified in our eyes to give you the answers that you need, provide you with a quote for the equipment, and to lead you down the path. And, and you're based on this particular application, I think that you should go 
talk to Sally because you know Sally is, has seen this before. I've worked with her on a project. It worked out really well, and they're going to take care of you. So without doing any kind of parent endorsement of, of a company, we can at least point our clients in the right direction of like, these are reputable brands that you should work with. And on, on the contrary, we can also steer them away from, from those vendors who you know, we have had bad experience and, and say, you know, you may not want to work with them. It went wrong on this other project for X, Y, and Z reasons. So, you know, that's one that, that comes to mind right off the top. Yeah, it makes sense. Anything on your side, Dad, Chrissy? Yeah, you know, one of the toughest, I think, applications for us is when we start dealing with hybrid mixtures. You know, a lot of your traditional dust collection technology, it's cellulose media, it's polyester media. It's really good at stopping particulate, but any sort of gases, vapors, odors, you know, those are going to pass right through the media. And so when it comes to mitigating a dust collector, when it, you know, for, for particulate, for combustible dust, it's pretty cut and dry, right? Explosion vent, suppression system, flameless vent on the collector. You find isolation device on the inlet, rotary airlock on the outlet of the hopper. But when we start dealing with combustible gases and vapors, we start to get a little bit beyond our scope in terms of what additional hazards are there. Because that vapor is going to go through the dust collector into the, you know, clean air, but it's it, depending on if they're returning the air back into the building or um, if they're exhausting it outside. And so that's one where we will really start to recommend and not even us going to those partners. We're going to recommend that the customer go directly with them and really start working with other channels to figure out, okay, are there different types of equipment? Do we need certain electrical classifications for the areas based on the hazard assessment? You know, what types of engineering controls are available for combustible gases? And, and we'll really encourage them to kind of start their own little network to kind of build their, their mitigation strategy. And so that that's the one that really comes to mind for me. Yeah, and I, we've seen for, for hybrid mixtures, failures at every step along the way, <laughs> not all the time, but you know, I've, I can think of cases where a failure has been made at the testing phase, where it's just not tested either correctly as a hybrid mixture. And I just got back from a, an international research conference a few months ago and a gentleman that works with BAM, which is a bunch of German words, but uh, they do a lot of testing and PTB also in Germany is, is basically work on rewriting the standard on how to test hybrid mixtures and found through the the work that he did with, we'll say, a dozen labs or so around the world, that how we're testing how mixtures really isn't getting the right explosion parameters out. So there's that piece, but then I've seen it where it's just totally mistakenly done, like not tested very well as a hybrid mixture, or not identified that it's even an additional hazard. So you just use the the, the combustible dust properties, say. So that's sort of a failure mode. Another failure mode would be in the hazard analysis, just not recognizing that there is the chance of a hybrid mixture. Maybe it's a hybrid mixture formed from off-gassing of burning particles that stick to a fin in a dryer or something like that. And if you don't recognize those hazards as existing, then you, you know, you're know you not even going to bring up hybrid mixtures. Now, we've seen the failure on the other side, and I think that's a little bit of what Chrissy's saying. Okay, we've established that there's a hybrid mixture hazard. Maybe we've been able to do some testing. But the implementation side of it, are we doing it in a way that's actually safe for the end user from an explosion standpoint, also from a, a gas material buildup standpoint. Uh, so I think hybrid mixtures are one of those ones that really require quite an extensive amount of collaboration to understand. I don't know, Tim, do you have any experience with hybrid mixtures you want to throw in there? Any examples on your end or sh should we move on to a easier topic? Hybrid mixtures are a tricky one and, and it, it's tricky for a number of reasons, but 
generally speaking, you know, capturing a sample of the dust and testing it with the hybrid mixture conditions in laboratory is challenging for, for any number of reasons. I'm encouraged by the fact that there are people out there trying to solve that problem and, and make it a little more standardized the way it does get tested. Because to be honest with you, you know, those are the ones where you, you were asking about partners. You know, that's where we reach out to, to partners in, in laboratories who have a little bit more expertise in this particular arena who can help guide our consultation of our clients on what is actually possible to do from a testing standpoint. Because this is not just simply telling a client to go grab a sample and talking through the differences between testing as received and per protocol. This is getting really detailed information about the material and the way in which it exists and interacts within the process, right? And, and by the time that we get all that information and then we do the testing, it, it certainly is a, a much larger endeavor than standard dust testing application. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And we kind of moved through when should these multi viewpoints be taken into account? When should we look at these partnerships all the way from the design phase through to, you know, retroactive work done on existing plants? We talked a bit about why we went really into in depth on some specific details and then we're closing on a really specific case now of hazard hybrid mixtures rather. Kind of want to give a shot just to, to, to both of you or one of you at a time, or, or you can try both at the same time if you want, I guess. <laughs> just the, any any kind of closing comments on this, any notes to the listener on how they should go about doing this, just anything to leave them off. Maybe I think we had Tim talk last. So Chrissy, anything else you want to leave folks off with on this episode, looking at these uh, multiple viewpoints for DHAs? I think NFPA is, it definitely is not black and white. It is incredibly gray. Even if you are strictly following the prescriptive strategies that are outlined, it is, it can be really confusing. And so I think anytime you're dealing with a combustible dust or just trying to, you know, work through the equipment that you have, it is really good just to start building your own network, you know, finding people who are informative and understanding of the process at your facility, who know the equipment that you have, um, you know, who understand your, you know, your own codes that you have to follow, you know, just really start involving a lot of people because especially as, as people change jobs, that information is going to get lost. And so the more people you can kind of share that with and, and really kind of try and problem solve with, it's going to make your job easier. And, you know, it's one of my favorite sayings is it's, there's no one size fits all. It's not like explosion vent isolation, put it outside and you're done, right? Like it really is more complex than that. It has to do with housekeeping and all these other, you know, standard operating procedures and PPE and, and even just training of employees. And so that's a lot to put on one person. And so if you can help share the load and really kind of build your own network around this, it's going to make it a better strategy, a better solution, and really just less, I think less work for, for overall for each individual person. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Anything to add on your end, Tim? I think that maybe the most important thing that has developed in the last five or six years as it relates to DHAs is, is getting the right expertise in place. And whether that is getting the right person to lead the DHA or getting the right team surrounding that DHA lead so that you've got all the information is critical to the success or failure of the execution or of, of ensuring that safety. And it has never been more clear to me than in the last, I'd say, 12 to 18 months in which more and more municipalities are 
becoming aware of and competent in asking questions surrounding combustible dust, you know, ensuring that code reviews are, are addressing combustible dust and, and really taking action if you're not doing the right things. I, I can think of an example recently in which a client of ours, you know, they had a DHA performed, they worked with a reputable dust collection company. They had what they thought was a reputable engineering firm do the hazardous classification work for them. And when it came time very close to startup, you know, all of a sudden they start getting questions that they didn't have answers to because the, the people who were guiding them down that road hadn't had the experience or hadn't thought of those questions that were going to be asked by the code official. And then all of a sudden you're making 11th hour changes to swapping from explosion venting to suppression because you didn't take into consideration the flame ball path. Or all of a sudden now this area that we thought was going to be class 2 div 2, we find that the motor that we have is not good. And we have to, to scramble to figure out, are we going to get a new motor that can meet this requirement? Or are we going to have to reclassify in some way? And so I, that to me is the number one thing here, where if you can get the people involved early that are knowledgeable enough to, to steer you in the right direction from the get-go and anticipate what kind of shortfalls you might have in the future, it's going to make it so much smoother for you on the back end. And I think it, it really relates back to what Chrissy said is that in a lot of cases, you get what you pay for. Yeah, I totally agree, Tim. Being proactive is so much easier than if you're reacting to the situation with a, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I'm going to add a, a last statement here that I just thought of when Tim was saying that. I mean, having the code official and or the fire department on your team or communicating with them during the design phase or during the retrofit is a great way to avoid those 11th hour issues. So I would say bring them in as soon as really early as the process as you can bring them in so that you're not going to end up in that bind where you got to switch from one option to another, hopefully not doing that so quickly that you, you don't do a full assessment of option number two. And certainly with the fire department side, bring them in. That's a really great way to reduce loss when you have an incident because we'll be able to respond quicker in a safer manner and also keep people safe. So um, I really appreciate those comments. So I think we'll close it up for today. Tim and Chrissy, I want to say thank you to both of you for coming on the podcast. And more importantly, thank you for the work that you continue to do out there. I would almost call partnerships and working together an innovative approach in combustible dust safety, but maybe we're getting ahead of the cart there, but it is good to see this continue to develop. And it really is the way that we can move the needle forward with safety is, is to avoid the silos, break down those walls, and continue to communicate and work together moving forward. So thank you for all of that. Yeah, thanks for having us on. This was a, this was a good session. Thanks, I appreciate it. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Chrissy Clocker, Applications Engineering Manager at Donaldson and Tim Hennix, Director of Engineering Services at Duscon Solutions. We've been talking through the importance of having multiple viewpoints partnerships and performing your dust hazard analysis. So we talked through a couple different aspects here. We sort of, we start off with, you know, when, when should you have multiple people involved? And the answer, the first answer was always, but you know, two specific scenarios is in your design phase really early on when you have lots of ideas and you need to narrow that down. And then also in retrofits, especially when you have specialized materials, specialized applications, different types of equipment, and maybe different specialized hazards too. That's a good way to bring people in. So we kind of talked about these different areas where you might need to look at this. I really liked Chrissy's point where she brought this feedback process between your risk assessment and the equipment you're using, 
performance you're getting out of your equipment and also the the hazards and the risks that you're taking on. And that's really just a, a great reason to have this sort of partnership to move forward is while you're evaluating different equipment options to meet your performance objectives, you're also not introducing risk or increasing your risk level. Or if you're making an adjustment on the risk side and trying to make something safer, you're not reducing your performance because that's going to, at the end of the day, also lead you to stray into a, a different path. We talked about when this should take place in relation to your, your hazard analysis and your implementation plan. Tim gave some really good tips about getting a hold of folks just for these type of discussions. The word he used here was having an efficient way to get information. If you have a PO number and a client name, um, are you able to get the information on that dust collector or that system or that explosion protection design or whatever it's going to be? And the more efficiently we can do that as a community, the safer facilities we're going to have at the end of the day. Making that communication easier is is really important for the whole community. And then once you have your your dust hazard analysis done, you just have a list of implementation recommendations. How do you go about getting those implemented at the end of the day? And that's a really nice spot to also bring in different viewpoints that specialize in those areas for the different types of controls that you're putting in place. We kind of dove into some very specific aspects, things like open face booths, different types of materials, you know, novel materials, hybrid mixtures. All these can present really challenging operations. As Tim was sort of said at the you know, early on in the interview, generally consultants have a very broad skill set and then a very specific skill set in one area, wherever they came up from. And Tim and I have talked about this before. And they lean towards those strengths. So if their strength is explosion protection, then they may not think so much about contain, collect, clean. If they're a you know dust collection guy or girl, then they're going to focus on that area and they may not think as much about combustible dust testing or different types of protection equipment. So... Generally, the consultants are going to come in and have a broad range of very specific knowledge in one area. And then it's really helpful to have somebody that knows their limitations in those other areas and you know, bring on those you know, folks that can help them when they need to dig deep, deep into those different areas. Uh, and we sort of closed off talking about growing your network. And both Chrissy and Tim said this, as a person that's involved in combustible dust safety, the more you can go about building your network of contacts, understanding who's in your industry and who you can reach out to just continues to reduce that friction, makes it more efficient for us to communicate, makes it more effective for us to improve facilities that we're working with every day. And we sort of tied off at the very end there by even expanding that network a bit to include the code officials you're working with, include the government regulators, include the fire departments. There's nothing that's going to make you happier when you have an inspector come at your door, you know, a government inspector, than having already communicated with them beforehand about the challenges you're having and that they know how you're addressing them. Otherwise, you may find yourself at a you know more challenging spot where you need to adjust and pivot and change your plan to, to move forward. So having that sort of level of collaboration really early on is, is really helpful. We've seen that with um, you know, organizations that we've had on the podcast before. So we're going to close up here for this issue of the podcast. I appreciate everyone that's listening to the podcast, every work that you're doing out there every day, making facilities safer. And we'll see you again with next week's podcast interview on Dust Safety Science.